0: Well, we are in part three of the series that uh, we're calling God With Us. And if you haven't been here for the first two weeks, let me just give you a a little bit of a reminder or a um, a recap of what the main idea of this series is. Um, At Christmas, we celebrate Emmanuel. We celebrate God who loved us enough to come to this earth, Jesus, that is, and to take on human flesh and bone and to live just like us, except one major difference, without sin for 33 years and the sacrifice that he made, not only on the cross, but even before that in living like a human being, although he was a holy and perfect God. And the thing that we're kind of navigating as we get to Christmas is that while Christmas, the first one, was 2,000 years ago, the power of Christmas and the power of God with us is just as powerful today. The problem is that sometimes we just forget or we doubt how God could be with us in whatever circumstance it might be that we're in. And so two weeks ago, we looked at, um, through Psalm 23, how God is with us in the valleys of life, those extended seasons of of hardship that seem like they last forever. And, And we were reminded that sometimes God lets us go through the valley instead of pulling us out of the valley because we're not finished projects and he's not done with us yet. And then last week, we looked at God with us in the wilderness. These these seasons of waiting where we're just not sure what's next and we wish things would get moving. And what we learned last week is that God is with us in those seasons too. And sometimes the waiting is a gift because it forces us to depend on God even more. As we get into this week's message, I I have a little bit of uh, Christmas trivia for you. First service got it, so let's see how smart second service is. What is the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time? (laughs) Josh and Die Hard. Again. I I heard Home Alone. Was there any other options? Elf, what's your final answer? (laughs) You got it. It's—the first uh, answer I heard was Home Alone. That's it. Home Alone, 1990, Macaulay Culkin burst onto the scene as Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, and every single person my age and a little bit younger grew up knowing Home Alone and loving that movie, where— Kevin gets left at home as his family leaves on vacation, which seems a little improbable, but anyway, they made it work. And so he was left home to defend his neighborhood and his house from that really dangerous duo called the Wet Bandits, all right? And through this movie, which was number one at the box office from the middle of November until the end of February, Macaulay Culkin— went from relatively—well, not relatively— from unknown to pretty much known all across the country. Macaulay Calkin went from being a part of a family that was scraping to get by to a family and a person who became a millionaire. He was in the proverbial valley, it would have seemed. At least his family was. He was only 10 years old and ended up through this movie to be on top of the mountain. And, and when you find that amount of success and that amount of popularity and that amount of fame and riches, you know, I think there's a part of us that thinks, well, then the rest of your life should just be, you know, lollipops and gumdrops. I mean, it's, it's got to be easy street. But if any of you know anything about Macaulay Culkin, you know that just wasn't and hasn't been the case. Within a couple years of Home Alone— his parents divorced because they couldn't handle the, the new life that they were handed. And they couldn't get along. I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, Culkin actually got married and divorced before he was out of his teenage years. And then as life went on, in part because of the fame and riches that were handed to him, the mountaintop that he had climbed to at such a young age and having, you know, Vast amount of money and, and just a lot of yes people in his life. He got caught up in drugs and alcohol, and I think in many ways, although in a much better place, is still trying to pull himself out of that. Today, we're going to be talking about God with us on the mountaintop. And so that we can make sure that we're all on the same page, here's um, how I define the mountain for sake of this message in this series. The mountain in this series is a season or a period of life where you're experiencing vast amounts of success and blessing. It's, um, the mountaintop is the season that you've been praying for. When you were a teenager or a 20 something, it's the season where you thought to yourself, if we just had that, or we just lived there, or if I was just able to get to this place or to this position or make this team, that things are going to be great and awesome. And the thing is, there's probably not a person in this room that doesn't want to get to whatever the mountaintop means for you. It's something that you've been praying for. It's something that you've been thinking about. It's something you've been working for. But, but here's the encouragement that I want you to think about today, because a lot of our message today is going to be one which is preparatory for you if you get to the mountain. What I want you to recognize is this—it's our first fill-in for today— that you need to be careful when you're on top of the mountain. You need to be careful when you're on top of the mountain. And there's this, there's this section in Scripture, it's in the Old Testament, that is just perfect for encouragement and for direction— during those seasons of blessing and earthly wealth and earthly happiness that we're hoping for and maybe some of us feel like we've been in or are in. And it comes to us um, from a leader in the Old Testament. His name was Moses. I'm not sure what you all know about Moses. Um, You know, he's the Ten Commandments guy, given the Ten Commandments. um, What he's most known for is being the leader of Israel that led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the land that God had promised to them, a land, as the Bible says, flowing with milk and honey, means a good place, called Canaan. But before they got from Egypt to Israel, you know what was in the middle? It lasted for 40 years. It was a wilderness, not just a a waiting time, like a hypothetical wilderness. This was an actual wilderness that they were in. Um, Most of us, because we live in the 21st century, have never experienced the dangers of a desert or the wilderness. But back that many years ago— It would be hard for a person to survive for a year or even maybe a couple months in the wilderness. But this was not a person that was trying to survive. Historians estimate that there was well over a million people that left Egypt and were on their way to Canaan, but had 40-year hiatus or waiting in the wilderness. So how are they going to eat? Well, here's what God did. Some of you might remember this. But every morning when they got out of their tents and went out into the desert, there was stuff all over the ground, and it kind of looked like dew, but it wasn't. It was these little flakes of bread that God provided on the ground. They tasted like honey. And guess what the Israelites named it? They named it manna, but what's more humorous is what manna means. Manna means, what is it? So they named this food that they got every morning. What is it? Because it was unlike anything they had ever seen or experienced. This was a miracle. This was God providing for them. And then if you continue to, to read through Deuteronomy, we're going to see some of this uh, in just a moment, that God also provided them with quail every morning. Like wherever they were in the wilderness, in the mor- during the day, quail just kind of flocked to their campsite. Um, here's something maybe that's lesser known. For the 40 years that they were in the wilderness, God caused it so that their clothes never wore out. Now, it does tell us that they went out of style, but they never wore out, okay? So 40 years, same clothes, worked the entire time. God, every single day, provided for the Israelites in this miraculous way. And then their... 40 years is over, and they're about to enter the promised land. You know what that would have been for them? That proverbial mountaintop. A season of happiness and a season of success. We're there, that land. But before they got there, Moses gathered all the Israelites around, and he had some words to share with them about the mountaintop. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Here's what he says. When you have eaten and are satisfied in the promised land on the proverbial mountaintop, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Here's his warning. Be careful. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands— because that would be a way you'd show you've forgotten him, failing to observe his laws and his decrees that I am giving to you this day. See, um, through this series, we're looking at different seasons of life that we're going in through. And when you're in the valley, a hard time, a difficult time, when you're in the wilderness, a waiting time, where you're, you're not sure what's next, you know what the temptation is? The temptation in those seasons is this, is to doubt that God is with us. Because if God was really with me, well then, things wouldn't be so hard. Things wouldn't be so difficult. Things would make more sense to me. That's what we think. But it's when we're in the seasons of success and blessing where we have a different temptation— Not to doubt that God is with us, but instead to, as Moses says, to forget that God is with us. I wonder if that's part of what's happened in our country. Huh? When's the last time we really struggled? We've been living in the land of milk and honey. And yes, individually, some people do, no doubt. But comparatively to the rest of the world, we're still the most blessed nation in the world in so many different ways. But when you have an extended season of blessing, an extended season of happiness, you know what happens? You get used to it. (laughs) Um, When— things change from the valley to the mountain, you don't forget God in that moment, do you? I mean, that's when Thanksgiving happens. I just got this huge raise, or I just got this huge bonus, or we just moved into the new house. Praise God! But then we live there for a while. It's when the blessings endure for a while that we begin to forget. And And our second fill-in is our first encouragement. When you're on the mountaintop, be careful not to forget the Lord your God. And this week, and I even asked Carrie her thoughts on this because I was trying to rack my brain like, why does this happen? Why do we forget? And you know, I think the, the easy pastor answer, and then we could just move on, is sinful nature. It's how we're wired, right? It's true. But sometimes digging into how we're wired helps us to smoke out what might be a way to prevent it. And I was thinking about this. I, I don't claim this to be the perfect illustration, but I think it'll help a little bit. Um, when uh, about seven years ago or so, we were remodeling—I sh- uh, should say finishing our basement— um, I, as I've confessed often from the stage, I'm not a handyman. And, uh, and so, but I know people. I know guys. I've got a guy for this and a guy for that. And for whatever reason, you know, people are nice to me. And, and I, I thank you for being nice to me. Um, but I had a guy to help me with electrical. In fact, he's actually here today. Um, and he taught me how to wire junction boxes something I had never done. YouTube wasn't quite the same as it was today, seven, eight years ago. And so he came over, showed me, and uh, I was able to wire junction boxes all by myself. And I mean, that does deserve a round of applause, but don't, please. Um, By the end of the week, for seven days, I'd come home and, and, and Carrie would remind me There's stuff to do in the basement, okay? And so I I was—I would go down to the basement and wire more junction boxes. By the end of the week, you should not call me Bob Vila, and you should not call me Chip Gaines, but I was pretty good at wiring junction boxes, okay? If you asked me to wire a junction box this afternoon, I could not do it. I would need to get YouTube or my guy to show me again— And here's why. I haven't been forced to do it since. It's been off my radar. And so I've gotten complacent with junction boxes. Now, with junction boxes, not such a big thing. But why do we forget when things are going well? because we haven't truly had to worry where the meal is coming from. Or maybe we've had to worry that we can't buy the new fashions of the fall or spring or whatever, but we've got tons of clothes in the closet. And over and over again, it is in, it is in the seasons of the valleys, the difficult times. Have have you noticed this? Where you are forced, much like someone handing you a junction box that needs to be put in, you are forced to rely on God. Because if not him, there is no one else. I do not have it in me for whatever challenge it is that you might be facing. If you ever felt that way, right? I don't have it in me. You are forced to rely on God. Be careful not to forget. You see, the Israelites, what was their deal? For 40 years, every night when they went to bed, what did they have in the cupboard? Nothing. In fact, they didn't have cupboards. (laughs) You know what they had to do? Lord, um, spend 35 years of that Honeycrisp stuff. Kind of tired of it, but would you please let it show up again? The next morning, when they got up, their habit was to go out, and there it was. They were forced in the wilderness to rely on God, and Moses is warning them: when you get to the mountain, when you get to the promised land. Things are going to be better. Not perfect, but better. Be careful. Be careful not to forget. So what about you and I? Um, Here's my encouragement for you, or maybe my application to this point um, here on the screen. Um, What we can do is to create personal habits that make it hard to forget. What personal habits are you creating as a family or as an individual that make it hard to forget? Like, what are you talking about, Ben? Well, these are not rocket science, but what about prayer? (laughs) What about praying every morning? And guys, I'm going to lay it on your heart. I'm going to give you a challenge. How about praying with your wife? What about taking her hand and praying with her? And if you're saying like, I don't know what to say, you know, two things. One, God doesn't care, okay? Number two, we'll then write it down and just read it or something until you get comfortable. But praying every day with our spouse or with our family, it's going to create and make a habit where you are forced to remember, like the Israelites coming out of their tent, that I need God. What about personal Bible study? What about finding a devotion plan? What about doing that regularly? It's not just going to happen by nodding your head and thinking it's a good idea. It happens when you get out your smartphone and put it on your Google calendar and put repeat every day at this time. That's when it happens. But we're content so often to think, oh, that's a good idea, and go home and not do it. And then we forget so easily. Or how about in a culture where just about anything, including huge art fairs, can go on Sunday morning— What about taking a stand and saying this is going to be sacred for me? And yeah, it's okay to miss here or there. It's not a law like thou shalt never miss a Sunday. But in general, we're going to create a habit that prioritizes time and worship together as a family. When you and I make personal habits that make it hard to forget the Lord your God, you know what happens? You forget him less. And you're reminded more often of his presence with you. These verses continue. Moses does. See, otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine homes and settle down, any of you have a fine home? Let let me just tell you, you all have a fine home. Or a fine apartment. Or a fine townhome. Again, we are blessed And when your herds and flocks, and your 401ks, and 403bs, and vacation funds, and the car uh, savings or whatever, saving for the next car, when that grows large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, if you forget then something will happen, you might—your heart will become proud. And you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Next verse. See, he led you. You know what he's doing? He's reminding them of their past. Sometimes in order to be thankful in the present, we need to see where we came from and be reminded of where we were. That's what Moses is doing. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. What is it? Something your ancestors had never known. To humble and test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. Next verse. You may say to yourself, someday when you're on the mountain— You may not even think while you're in the valley that this would ever come out of your lips, and it probably won't come out of your lips, but you can very easily think it. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his love covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Be careful not to forget. And then here we see in our next fill-in, Moses reminding us, be careful of pride. Be careful of thinking too much of ourselves. Have any of you ever heard of... um, altitude sickness, like if you go to the top of a mountain too quickly or you drive to Colorado and don't, you know, stop in Denver first before going to Rocky Mountain National Park, that you can, you can kind of get sick. Um, And the symptoms of altitude sickness are things like um, dizziness and headaches and nauseousness. Now, if you've ever had dizziness Uh, nauseousness, and a headache at the same time. Like, it makes it hard to function, doesn't it? If you have all those things, altitude sickness can make it difficult to think straight. There's an altitude sickness to be aware of when we're in seasons of success and blessing. Because sometimes people who are thinking straight in the valley get to the mountain, and they're no longer thinking straight. And at the root of that so often, and it may not be verbalized exactly like Moses said, but the root of that is a pride that we need to be careful of. You know, um, for the Israelites, things would fundamentally change in how they were provided for. Because in the wilderness, they got up, went out of the tent, and there was food. On the mountain, or in Israel, food would not appear like dew on the ground. You know what they'd have to do? They'd have to till the soil. I'm talking like a farmer here, even though I'm the farthest from it. Uh, they'd have to put seeds in the the soil. Is that the second step? I don't know. Um, they'd have to make sure that there's— you know, as best as they could, that it was watered. They'd have to harvest the crops and they could see the corn or whatever it was, the wheat on their table and think, wow, I did a good job. And was that true? Yeah. It was their diligence, their hard work, their giftedness, their tending to the, the crops that in part allowed it to be there. But what God is saying is, but you forgot something. This is a partnership deal here. And if I didn't give you the gifts, if I didn't give you the talents, there would be no wheat on the table. If I did not give you this land, there'd be no wheat on the table. You and I and the Israelites can do nothing without the Lord. Have you ever thought about this? Like, were you the smartest person in your class in high school? Were you the smartest person in your class in college? Do you know people that were smarter than you but seem to be not quite um, as successful from a worldly perspective as you? What is that about? They say that a lot of um, uh, worldly success can be linked to, yeah, of course, hard work and brains, but also who you know, connections that you have. How do those happen? What I'm trying to weed out is this. Where you're at, maybe even take this country, <laughs> has nothing to do with you. Did God consult with you and say, hey, um, so here's the map. Tell me where you want to be. <laughs> and yet, we're blessed. It's not me. It's him. Yes, my gifts are used. Your gifts are used. If you just sit on your behind all day, probably things aren't gonna go well at work. I get it. But God is behind the blessings that we have in so many different ways. And so here's my question. When you're on the mountaintop, what are you going to celebrate, and who are you going to remember? You know, there's this tradition when you get to the top of Mount Everest that people bring along a flag, and usually it's of their country or maybe some charity that they would like to promote, and they put that flag on the mountain or they hold it out. It, here's an example. My, my question for you is this. In the mountaintop years or days or months of your life, what flag are you going to raise? All glory to me? we all glory to Him, and our tendency is, when things are going well, to forget the Lord our God, and what God is saying is, don't forget. Don't forget, and it may not be a, hey, look at me! I'm so great! Pride shows itself in a lot of different ways, and it's so easy to have and so hard to see in the mirror. If you're someone who's really difficult with taking correction from other people, it might be a pride issue. If you always have to be told that someone else is sorry before you say sorry, it's probably a pride issue. If you're very superficial about what you're wearing, it could have some roots in pride, potentially. Because you don't feel like you can at times be the real you. You see, pride is a difficult thing to see, but something that we certainly need to be careful of. You see, I I like this statement, um, and it's important. When you are full of you, there is no room for anyone else. (laughs) Isn't that true? When you are full of you, there is no room for anyone else. There's this, uh, this encouragement that I've heard in the business world um, where if there are people in your life that don't maybe agree with your passion about something or question something about you, that they're just haters and you need to get rid of them. You got to surround your people, yourself with people who just, you know, confirm and affirm everything that you think. That is like the worst thing you could ever do. If everyone around you is compelled to agree with you, something isn't right. How about this? Here's your second application. Create habits that make it hard to forget, and then choose to make a choice to be an authentic Christian community. To guard us from the dangers of the mountaintop, even while we're still in the valley, be diligent with having people in your life that you've given permission to be honest with you and to ask the tough questions, and sometimes even to correct. So, the mountaintop sounds awesome, doesn't it? Here's the thing. The mountaintop's not bad. You don't have to be afraid of the mountaintop. You don't have to stop praying for success. I'm just saying, be careful. Moses is saying, be careful. Because God wants to be with us and offers to be with us in every season, in every terrain. And when we're in the valley, we doubt sometimes, but when we're on the mountaintop, we can forget. So what are we going to do while we're in the valley? So as to help us not forget when we're on the mountain? And the last thing I'd like to share with you today is the most important thing. And and that is a a Savior that we have um, that handled the mountaintop in such a different way. So Paul writes about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. He writes, Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. What that means is, when Jesus considered whether to come to this earth, he did not think, oh, I'm going to come and just have a grand old time because I'm God and I can do anything. But instead, he made—Jesus did himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Part of that was being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If you want to think about a mountaintop, think about where Jesus was. He was in the glories of heaven with whatever he wanted at his disposal. But he intuitively understood that there was something better than just being on the mountaintop. And you know what that was? Relationship with you. There was something for him that was better than the mountaintop, and it was you. And so he came to this earth to win you so that you might be his child even though it cost him dearly, even death on a cross. And my friends, as I said before, the mountaintop is not bad. It's not something you have to like think, oh, can't go there. Success bad. No. But what I am saying and what Moses is warning is that there is something better than the mountaintop. Any season, is better with God with us. Our our last fill-in. God with us is better than the mountain. You know what's better than the mountain? A season of life where God is with us. You know what's better in the valley? God with us. You know how the wilderness is better? God with us. You know what God promises to you? I'm with you. So don't forget about me when things are bad. Don't forget about me when things are good. I love you. And Christmas is a perfect example and reminder of how deep his love was for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your deep and great love for us. Lord, every season of life, we need to be reminded of how much we need you. And sometimes it's those seasons of greatest success where it's the easiest to forget you. Lord, I pray that through Moses' warning so many years ago that we also have an appropriate uh, reminder and warning to understand how much we need you, to not forget about you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.